Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody. Yay! I am Greg Tito, and this is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Wow. Hi, Shelly. Hi. Are you in a good mood today? I am in a very good mood today because I get to talk to you. Oh, thanks, Greg. That's always the highlight of my day as well. My Once a week. highlight of my, my week, my day. That's it. That's it. All goes downhill from here. Uh, but we're also really excited to talk to our guest this week. Brian mm-hmm. McLaughlin is a artist who has done so many things over the years. He's got a great graphic novel slash RPG that you can play with your kids or they can read on their own and solve their problems. It's really fun. Yeah. Takes a bit of explanation, so wait until you get in the interview. But uh, it is really, really cool, and uh, I think people are going to dig it. Plus, he's been cartooning and making stuff for decades. Some of which you might have seen in the Dragon Mags of Yore. Heard of it, or maybe in the New Yorker. New Yorker. I mean, name hello. dropper New Yorker. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, yeah. Nickelodeon as well. He's done work mm-hmm. there. He live streams on a show called Magical Marker with other artists, which is always fun to see the work that they produce. Well, you know, creating an RPG together. Yep, very cool. Lots of good stuff with Brian. Yeah, we'll talk all about that for sure. And some of his stuff is a great companion to uh, the Young Adventurers guys uh, that have been out there as well. Those delve more into the lore. This is a way to get into the idea of what RPG storytelling is like uh, with Complete the Quest. Uh, So very fun stuff there. Uh, There is a really cool book out there called Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. It's so chaotic. I've heard of it. it's, it's, It's really, really cool. It's got so many... Interesting ways, speaking of, of young adults uh, and their adventuring parties, at a magical university, mm. stuff starts to go a little bit south. And there is a uh, four-year uh, campaign. Um, four years meaning the four years that you're attending this university. So freshman, oh, sophomore, junior, senior. Um, and all these great mechanics that you can use for infusing Young adult, uh, not even not even young adult, but just like adolescent coming of age stories, uh, like you know the what I love about Amanda Heyman, one of the um, uh, lead designers on this, is she's been saying she was inspired by some of the '80s movies that we love, like Breakfast Club, <gasps> John and Hughes, John Hughes, and and you know all those those kind of dealing with who you are, uh, a teen angst type of stories, and here's a great way to bring that to life in a Dungeons and Dragons magical universe with lots of plots and magical sports that you can play against uh, other rivals in your school. And extracurricular activities. Romance. And friendship. All of the above. And I go frenemies. To frenemies. You, frenemies. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, a, uh, it's D&D still. You, could, you don't have to use any of those things. You can just run this adventure straight up because it's, Got lots of, of of exciting elements and things that you will just want in your D and D adventure, but you could also just pepper it with a little bit of a uh, some you know spending money in your pocket because you got a job. You got the job. Build some character in every oh, sense show. of the word, and be and an owlin. By the time you're listening to this, it will be out in stores, available digitally everywhere. December seventh, there are two great covers uh, for it. 
the alternate cover looks really cool and you can only get that through game stores so make sure and uh go to your local game store shop locally like shelly always does and uh <laughs> it will be uh there ready for you i speaking of shopping locally i have been to our local game shop maybe i'm not exaggerating seven times in the last four days nice why is that shelly oh i just because i keep getting gifts for people and quinn every once in a while like and forces me to like take him there to buy another pack of Pokemon cards. Um, but I, I thought it was because you were DMing and you needed some materials. Oh, can I tell you a story? Yes. So we just had a holiday break here, um, Thanksgiving, and the in the some of the days leading up to Thanksgiving, my family and the neighbor family went to the Washington coast for like mm-hmm. four beautiful days of relaxation and this is the family with the twin girls that I DM'd for we brought boxes and boxes of games to play and at the last second I was like I'll just toss the essentials kit in this pile as well like nice. like literally like such a last thought that I didn't even think about dice I, I was just like oh, just throw it in there whatever well but the girls the whole family arrives and like 10 minutes in they're just I heard the girls go to their mom, can we play Dungeons and Dragons? And I was like, did I just hear what I think I heard? And she was like, I don't know. Like, there's like a pile full of games here. Like, just go pick a game. And they were like, we want to play Dungeons and Dragons. And she was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Because <laughs> like, that is not me. You need to go talk to other people. <laughs> and then I heard like them kind of like muttering off to themselves. And then like an hour later, I heard another one going, when can we play Dungeons and Dragons? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I need to just, I'm just going to step in here. I'm like, you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? I'm hearing you. But like, right, like, I think by this time I was already like a bottle of wine in. I'm like, I'm not going to DM. And I know like the next couple of days it's going to be really sunny and nice and we should be outside at the beach. But on Monday it's going to rain. And I feel like that might be the day that maybe we'll play some D&D. Oh, Okay. Well, like the next three days, they were still like, when, why can't we play Dungeons and Dragons? I'm like, because it's sunny and we're at the beach and we're going to go outside. Why can't we play? They've just kept talking about playing, playing, playing. Finally, mm-hmm. like Monday rolls around. I'm like, let's do it. We're actually going to play D&D. And guess who was the dungeon master? Who? Me. You. Again. <gasps> Yay. And guess how much prep I did? Zero. Nothing. Nice. Like literally nothing. I really opened the box. I'm like, oh my God, we don't even have dice. So we grabbed Yahtzee and we were like, everybody's playing with D6s today. Like, that's just how it is. And I realized, doesn't matter. I didn't even, I just glanced at the story in the essentials kit and was like, no, you have to go to this windmill. And uh, your teacher, Miss Sisson, she's uh, trapped there. Don't you want to save her? And they were like, yes, yes, we do. And um, I just literally made up stuff the, the mean, rest fu- of the did time. Did you fight a, a manticore too? We did. The manticore nice. came out. Um, they actually tamed him. <sighs> Mine, my kids did too when I think I ran that encounter. And they were very clever with, uh, and then like the spell would wear off though. And then they'd have to like retame. Um, one of them like went into the, the house to try to find the teacher. They actually like split the party. And I was like, whatever, you'll learn. And... <laughs> She, like, stumbled in the living room. She tripped over something. I actually, like, had her, like, roll some dice to see if she made it across the room, and she didn't. So I had her fall over a chair, and she (laughs) landed on, like, that moldy carpet, and then, like, it kind of, like, knocked her out. So 
I'm like, you have to like spend your next turn trying to get up off this carpet. And she loved it. She was just like, ah, this is amazing. Like, I'm just trapped in this moldy carpet. And again, like, so their mom even played with us. She's obviously no never way. played D&D before. And she, like, the whole, like, I don't think, like, she's going to be, like, knocking on my door saying, I need to play D&D again. But afterwards, she was like, oh, my God, the amazing thing here is seeing my daughters playing yeah. this game. And, like, they're very reserved. And they're very shy normally. Like, it's very hard to get them to open up. And there's... They are completely different people when they play. They're acting out their spells and they're negotiating and they're like fighting to be the person who's like, no, I want to talk to the principal. Like, I want to be the one that goes and does this thing. Uh, Quinn dipped in and out. He preferred that his character stayed in the forest and was like, on occasion, he would like say something, but he really didn't play. And then their little six-year-old brother kept trying to get in on the action. And so we were like, okay, like you're a gnome. And now like... You have been found, and the manticore is actually pursuing you. And he was Ooh. like, that manticore is dumb. Because I think it said something in the description that they're not bright. And he glommed onto that. He's like, you're so dumb. And I'm like, well, now you've angered him, and now you've broken the spell. He's no longer tamed, and he's coming after you. And um, he and he he loved that. He was like, right? come and get me. Like, come on. Come and get me, manticore. There's some consequences to your actions, but They kid. ended up saving their teacher, um, taming the manticore, and and, and having the manticore uh, fly them back to West Seattle on, on their back. <laughs> and um, one of them was even like, I feel like I might fall off. And I'm like, oh, do you want to roll some dice and see if you're staying on the manticore? She wanted to fall off. Like, she was just like, what would happen if I fell off this thing? And then um, the one thing that they wanted was to see a dragon. Mm. You could, like, they were just like, so, like, about these dragons that are part of this game. Like, are, and I was like, oh, like, while you're flying, you think out of the corner of your eye, you see like a flutter of something like very big and like chilling, like, and they were like, and, and I'm like, but you don't know. And that's where we'll pick it up next time. Ah! Oh, Shelly, you did it. You did it. That's so awesome. I did it. You learned from all of these crazy interviews over the last six years. Uh, I see little threads of everything that we've Every, talked about. Literally everything that you guys have have said to me and, and taught me and the, the guests on how to be a DM. Every bit of that was like just doing in my brain. And it comes out when you're, when you're in those situations. And it's I so will cool. say like the best, one of the best tips is yours. When you said, when you make people act out. What, what does that look like when you do this? Or what does it look like when you fall down? Or what does that look like when you cast the spell? It really does just like gives them like this agency and like this freedom of like, okay, I realize like this is my imagination and this is my part of the story and I can do whatever I want it. I want yeah. to do. It's really, it was like that, that was really, we did that all the time. And I eventually had to even stop asking them because they just started doing it on their own. Like they were just oh. like, I'm going to do this and cast it and it blows up in its face. And I'm like, oh, oh they're just so great. They're very inspiring. That is, I mean, you're inspiring. I mean, uh, after all of your reluctance, you know, from, from, from the beginning of when we started doing Dragon Talk to now, 
it is a story. It, you, it is like a quest that you have gone yes. on. And I feel like you finally slayed the monster. I feel like I am like, well, I, yes. But I also just feel like kids, man. I just want to bring D&D mm. to the kids. Bring it to the kids. I and want they're the ones to- who glom on to that type of uh because they want agency, right? That's, yes. And so this game gives them the idea to do what they want. And so they love that. Sometimes when I've done that, you know, what does your spell look like for an adult? They're like, oh, I just, I mean, I cast magic missile. It's Their mom missile. was kind of hesitant. She was like, I don't know. Like, well, right. well, you know. But like then, I, by example, seeing their, 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 <coughs> their, the, the kids do it so well, like, I mean, I love that. That's so great. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. You're doing it. You're doing it. And again, you don't need any prep. Well, I mean, certainly you can create a story that has all of these things, but like it can be just fun just to roll some dice and yeah, come up with stuff on the fly. Just find some dice around your house. <laughs> like, I love that too. I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I'll just roll two of them. We'll see. Yeah. And, um, uh, and again, the lo-fi like, way to do that if you don't have any, you know, D20s or something like that, you can yeah. do like just write uh, on pieces of paper and put them in a hat and you can just pull out. Oh, that's a good idea. Random numbers that way. Um, I've seen people do that. In fact, I think that was in like the early days, the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like, here's another way you can do it if you don't happen to have the the polyhedral dice. That's a great idea. I mean, I had a dice roller on my phone too that I could. Oh, that helps. Was doing that, but they they wanted to have like the physical. Something about tactile dice really does make it. And like that anticipation as they hit the table and you're waiting for them to like stop moving. Yeah. but also, like, Bart was not my crutch. Like, he was not even with us. It was just oh, wow. the girls, their mother, and me. I, girls' night is going to be I know. D&D night all it's the time. It's funny, though. I, I think the little brother w- would be into it, but I think he's also a little, like, too too young at this mm-hmm. point. He just, because yeah. he just really wants to, like, fight the monsters, which there's nothing wrong with that. But these girls really seem to enjoy being, telling the story. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see where this goes next. Hopefully Me they too. can see that that white dragon, uh, right? Because if they see a dragon and if you're using the Essentials Kit, uh, then, I mean, that might show up as an antagonist or maybe it'll be their friend. That's been the threat this whole time. Is yeah. that, that's why they had to go and rescue all these people and bring them back to West Seattle. I love that it's West Seattle. So yeah. Cool. Well, that was one of the tips that I had was like... Locate somewhere that they know. Yeah, give them something familiar that don't make... like If, if it's their first time, it might help to have something that grounds them in mm-hmm. the story. Well, to keep something uh, that is familiar to many D&D players, but it might be something brand new to the players that you're describing, uh, let's have a fun little segment of Meet Your Monsters on yes. Gelatinous Cubes. With Mackenzie DeArmas, uh, I really want to see how we can integrate that into into this game. Hopefully, shall I? Welcome to a new segment of Meet Your Monster. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by two wonderful folks. Shelly Mazanoble, hello. Hello. And Mackenzie DeArmas again. Hello. 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 We are excited to talk about one specific monster in this Meet Your Monsters uh, segment to find out what they are all about, why they are exciting, some maybe some fun ways that you can introduce them into your fifth edition game. And today we are going to talk about gelatinous cubes. <gasps> yes, a very iconic D&D yep. monster. Absolutely. So, Hard to yeah. call them a monster, though. I mean, I know they're monsters, but it's like, it's a cube. Right? 
it's a challenge, perhaps, uh, yes. more than a monster, because they don't have a lot of intelligence. They've got one intelligence. Mm-hmm. They're a challenge to rating monsters. So again, that's something that you might uh, encounter early on in your adventuring career. Classic stories of of uh, seeing them because they're five foot wide, and mm-hmm. the most uh, uh, dungeons back in the day were five foot wide as well, and so they would be uh, invisible. So yeah, Mackenzie, let me ask you, what do you think? If you were going to describe it to your players encountering this thing, how would you uh, introduce it uh, to your players? Ooh, I think definitely because they are like exactly five feet wide and they really do like fit into those very traditional like five by five sort of dungeon hallways. I think it's always so cool to like start the lead up to an encounter with the gelatinous cube by having people notice these very angular and incredibly clean just tracks along wherever they're exploring because mm. that's what the gelatinous cube does it just it's it's a it's a roomba it's a dungeon roomba <laughs> like a street sweeper or something it's just, it's just and it just sweeps up the dungeon and i think those those are one of those things where if you've been delving in a dungeon for so long and so you're so used to that like general air of like must and dust and grime and like that sort of even that wet earth smell to all of a sudden encounter a thing where it's just perfectly pristinely clean and smooth and just that that slight bit of that is way too clean to be in a place like this Mm. what's wrong and then slowly leading up to you know people might follow that path Maybe it's because they want to get out of the dungeon and they see, oh, there's a clean path. Maybe we should go down this way. And then starting with like the um, the residue of like the the ooze on the wall and maybe that acrid sort of smell to it. Mm. Sort of even like the things that gelatinous cubes are not able to dissolve with their goo. <laughs> I, I have no clue what to actually consider the gelatinous cube to be made out of uh, goo we're calling it goo yeah uh and just like they the the entry always talks about how gelatinous cubes are invisible like i know a lot of them are depicted as traditionally green but they can also be entirely clear and that idea of also walking down a hallway seeing it be perfectly clean and then seeing like a skull seemingly floating in midair at the end of the hallway uh, kind of like you see in those haunted houses where the candelabra is just sort of floating there. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing holding it up. And then you just suddenly hear this sludging sound as it starts creeping towards you. And there are no other wall, no other doors. There's maybe like alcoves you can duck into as the cube goes past. Um, and just really, really falling into that Indiana Jones uh, running from the boulder feeling, mm. except it's much slower and much and somehow still just as scary. It's a nice way to add intention, uh, yep. almost like the trash compactor thing in, in mm-hmm. Star Wars, right? Where like things, walls are closing in. The thing, the the, the yep. invisible cube is coming towards you, uh, and you don't know how to react. And I love that idea of having the floating things uh, mm-hmm. within it being, um, you know, in some ways the first thing that the player characters will will see yeah. when they encounter it. Especially for like newer characters who, who or newer players who maybe aren't so aren't super steeped in. Uh, D&D lore because like we've mentioned gelatinous cubes are super iconic creatures um, but that's what makes them so much fun to put in front of people who haven't played D&D for a while or are new to the sort of game 
re-seeing those reactions to those these sort of classic monsters that we think are ubiquitous and seeing them go, okay, it's a it's a big, it's a big jello blob. It's danger jello. No. <laughs> and then seeing and seeing the the wonder and excitement and that uh that tense energy that comes from encountering monsters for the first time coming off of um or being able to see that when you put a gelatinous cube in front of players who haven't seen one yet. It's just one of those reasons. It just makes me remember why I love playing this game so much and why I love these fantastical monsters so much. Absolutely. So you said like, they're not intelligent. They have a one, but they, they can still attack and target you. Yeah, they have, they have a, they, they said they just can't read. They're not necessarily, they're not sentient. They're sapient, but they're not sentient. They are aware of their environment. But you you can't, they ain't going to read, they ain't going to make, like, decisions about books. Uh, <laughs> there's no, do, there's I, no gelatinous cube art out there. Do not invite I, the gelatinous cube to your book club. They will I not participate. I would love if they did. I think it would be hilarious. But, like, I mean, oof. now I'm just thinking of, like, gelatinous cubes or, like, a wizard who has a dungeon full of gelatinous cubes but has made the entire, like, floor of where the dungeon is sort of, like, has raised bumps or stuff and is just teaching gelatinous cubes how to read based on, like, tactile surfaces. Oh, my gosh. Like, a braille and, and just for... educate, yeah, educating the gelatinous cube army via tactile writing in a dungeon and just making them, just, just teaching them and just spending a lot of time just raising and lowering the terrain to teach gelatinous cubes and how to process language that's terrifying i want it (laughs) i I I think it it. sounds sweet and i want it as well i I mean i don't know what i i i would be concerned as to what he was teaching or what uh that wizard would be teaching their army of gelatinous cubes um because i don't know unless they're just teaching them to you know how to clean and just renting them out as roombas um i'd be concerned but also very intrigued well, and that is one thing that is really uh, important to note about the gelatinous cube is that they really work the best because of the environment that you put them yep. in, right? Yep. If you meet a gelatinous cube out in a plane, uh, out in the wild, it just it doesn't have the same impact that it does in confined, enclosed spaces. And so yep. it's really important as a dungeon master to create and craft a dungeon that's around that because uh, otherwise a lot of the impact of, of throwing these, even on new players, will be lost. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that makes putting gelatinous cubes into uh, dungeon encounters uh, super fun is having the gelatinous cube have magical items yeah. inside it. Oh, I was going to uh, ask about that. So, yeah. Yes, yes. So you as a dungeon master could put something you know your mm-hmm. the party's really going to want inside yep. the cube. And are as can can you reach inside to grab it without dying or you can you can losing a uh, limb? according to the according to the stat block a creature within five feet of the cube can take an action to pull a creature or object out of the cube doing so requires a successful dc 12 strength check and the creature making the attempt automatically takes 10 or 3d6 oh. acid damage so you can just reach into the cube and try and grab things for at a cost but you're gonna automatically take damage yeah you're automatically a lot taking damage of damage for a for a CR two monster, that is a pretty hefty amount of damage, uh, and as well as you are using your action to make that to make that strength check, so there is still a chance of failure. But uh, you can put a lot of really good items inside a gelatinous cube, and it really adds to that risk reward sort of 
tension of a gelatinous cube encounter because gelatinous cubes aren't super fast uh, and they really pretty much only can, you know, slurp out their pseudopods and smack something or engulf creatures, which is, and the engulf is pretty terrifying, but it yeah. can only engulf one creature at a time. Uh, anyone else who isn't engulfed, once you pull that creature out, that um, the tension kind of dips. But if you have people like trying to vie to see if they can get into the gelatinous cube and pull out items, that adds that other layer of risk and reward to the encounter that I think uh, a lot of players really like because we all like our magic items. We love having items that let us do cool things. And we will do very, very, very foolish things to get those magic items, including touching the, the bad jello. And, so, going, and getting engulfed inside bad jello. Yep. Hey. My favorite encounter I've seen someone run is someone put an, immo- an, an immovable rod inside a gelatinous cube and then activated it. And the gelatinous cube couldn't move. So the gelatinous cube oh. was just stuck in one place and starving until the, the party came along and went, oh, that's an immovable rod. I want it. They reached in, deactivated the rod. And because the cube was starving because it was stuck in place, it immediately like swallowed up whoever was next to it. And then everyone was like, oh, God, OK, 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 it's we got to go. That's bad. <laughs> and so it was just this incredibly hungry, almost feral gelatinous cube that had been purposefully stuck and frozen in place until someone tried to pull out the rod. Is it weird that I feel bad for the cube in that story? I feel feel so bad for the cube in that story. It is weird. I I know. I didn't say it was a nice encounter. I just thought it was fun. I feel so bad for the cube. And I think the cube, I think the cube did end up eating one of the party members. I think it might have done enough damage to insta-kill the wizard. It, it, wow. So whoopsie. Whoops. So and then you have to see. Then you have yep. to see your dead party member. Just yep. like just you have to see him stuck there. There's oh, that's just mm. not good. And I it's I love the pack. imagery around that because it is a acid uh, damage, and so you know I I feel like we don't see it as much in, in in fantasy stuff now, but I feel like acid was such a big deal in the. And G.I. Joe and the Transformers and all the, the cartoons I watched as a kid and that like, oh God, that's the worst way to die because it, it gets your, mm-hmm. your, your skeleton exposed. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. Being able to see your party members stuck in there They're, or, oh. you know, as you said before, Mackenzie, of having like a, a skull or, or, or it's a great way to use storytelling of previous adventurers who might have been yep. fallen uh, into this. Even the immovable rod, somebody put that yep. in there. And and pinned down uh, this gelatinous cube like Mjolnir uh, to, to not be able to move, uh, you know. So there's great ways that you can use yeah. the, uh, these monsters in that way. Yeah, gelatinous cubes are one of my favorites. I think for like environmental storytelling because they very rarely just spawn. They're often put there for a reason, mm. and I think just with how they leave their tracks in a dungeon and how they can look. Uh, and like you were mentioning, like that corrosive acid, it's so distinctive. Like the, you, when you describe like an acrid smell or when you describe like that, you like we all have experiences with sour things. And so we we always have in the real world, we have a, a precedent for what acid is. And just being able to take that precedent and turn it up to its highest degree is a very visceral and 
cool experience, I think. And it also like it, it plays off the ways we already see the world and putting it a wonderfully fantastical spin on it, uh, which makes the I think it's one of the reasons why the cube is such an iconic monster. Yeah. And that's why it's stuck around and it's stuck in people's brains for so long. Absolutely. And your and brains are stuck in it, literally. Yeah. Being dissolved slowly over time. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody listening, definitely include more gelatinous cubes in your game, especially early on. And with new players, I think that's a really good point. I think mm-hmm. it's without all of the wealth of, of uh, uh, knowledge around playing this game for years and years and years, sometimes just throwing this at a kid or, or someone who mm-hmm. doesn't have... Uh, that, you know, it's like that whole Dread Gazebo story, right? Like, you don't know what it is, and so you approach it in a completely different way, and Jonas Cubes mm-hmm. can do that for sure. So, thanks for talking us through it. Um, yeah. And meeting this monster, Gelatinous Cube has been met. Ha! <laughs> don't we put your hands them. in. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mackenzie, if people want to ask you uh, how to train a Gelatinous Cube and uh, <laughs> to clean their house, how can they do that? <laughs> Uh, well, you can find all my wonderful Turn Your Gelatinous Cube into a Roomba tips over on my Twitter at Mackenzie Lane DA. That's M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-D-A. Um, I'm pretty much almost always near my phone unless it has been swallowed by the gelatinous cube that is sitting on my <laughs> shelf behind me. Uh, so if you message me on Twitter, uh, uh, tag me in a tweet, I'll most likely see it unless I have to, again, retrieve my phone from uh, Slorp, who's my own gelatinous cube uh, and he's sometimes a little bit of a rascal so we'll see <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh, well thanks Mackenzie and we'll see you next time oh cubes who doesn't love a cube uh, gelatinous cubes are where it's at and they can be used in so many different and fun ways like like we said before, like having new players who have not encountered a gelatinous cube before, it's the perfect thing to spring on them because they don't know what it is, and you just got to give them the clues. Uh, I can't wait for for that, and hopefully all the uh, tools that Mackenzie brought up uh, can <clears throat> terrify these. Oh, oh. I feel like they would not be terrified. They would be like, "Bring it on, cube dude!" They're like, "Make it our friend or, or tame it." <laughs> be kind of cool to have a gelatinous cube friend. I, I I remember ha- fondly ha- uh, Globagool from Globagool and and Blorp Blabagool. from um, Dungeon Mayhem. Oh, Blorp! Yeah. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Dungeon Mayhem lately. It is a super fun game. People should pick it up. It's a great holiday gift for the game player uh, family in, on your list. Uh, you just gave me a great idea to give the the D and D neighbors. I don't know if I already did, John. But anyway. Order it. From your local it's store. good stuff. Speaking of things that you should order, uh, you should try to pick up all the fun stuff that Brian McLaughlin is working on, and you're going to find out all about them right now. Let's welcome Brian McLaughlin to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Woo-hoo! Yes, I love the shaky arms and everything. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Greg? Rocking and rolling here, uh, and we are excited to talk to you as a, a cartoonist, a writer who has a long history with Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't. I um, love that you worked on on Dragon Magazine back in the day. Oh yeah, that was one of my first things I was doing out of college. Did a bunch of Dragon Mirths and uh, like a April Fool's issue. You know, any place we could fit in more cartoony side because I, you know, skew more silly and cartoony than you know the. 
the realistic fantasy. So it was good. I was I found a, a place that welcomed me in, and I got some good gags in. I think. Nice. Yeah. Like I said, I, now I want to go back and look at all those old issues and see if we can find out. Was it, so was it when it was a digital uh, publication or when it was uh, in print? No, it was print. The nice. silver hair, I mean, that's, that's natural. <laughs> Impossible. Right. So this was uh, early 2000s, I think, right? Is that, is that yeah. about right? Yeah, I think so. So oh, wow. I remember I, I played in the Age of Worms campaign that was in Dragon Magazine at that time. Uh, and so I remember flipping through those issues. I probably saw your work there. I did. Uh, there was a snack food monster, I think, in the April Fool's issue that I illustrated. It was like a, a, a instead of a gelatinous cube, it was a, a Jolly Rancher, watermelon Jolly Rancher thing that would come and squish you. <laughs> and uh, pizza golem, I think. All sorts of fun Ooh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I like I, that. I've, I've encountered one or two in my life, I think. And it makes it easy to use your minis, I guess. You know, they just you know take the Jolly Rancher and put it down mm-hmm. on the table. And I'm curious why a up. watermelon Jolly Rancher. I don't know. Uh, maybe that was my choice. It's been so mm-hmm. long ago, I can't remember. But it definitely was pink. Okay, a little disarming. I like it. I can see yeah. it. Um, I mean, your your work has also appeared in places not quite to the stature of Dragon Magazine, like <laughs> The New Yorker. <laughs> But yeah. whatever. <laughs> I mean, I was more excited to get into Dragon than the New Yorker, but I mean, I, I, I like being in both. I like that my work can straddle both uh, places. I like that too. I mean, looking at the list of places where your work has appeared, I was looking at your website earlier and it's like Nickelodeon because you do a, a ton of, of great things for with kids and for kids. Um, obviously, Dragon, the New Yorker. Owl Magazine, um, you're, you can definitely, you span many, many uh, audiences, which is, says a lot about the work that you do. Yeah, and I mean, I think it all sort of coalesces in, in the book, which was like a combination of games, stories for kids, comics, uh, and not a, a, a good deal of comedy, I would say. Not, it's <laughs> not all silly. It's, you know... Fairly straight laced, but there's gags in there. That's oh. cool, and it's it's a great. So everyone knows you're talking about complete the quest. Yes, which complete is the a quest. yeah yeah. Tell us tell us exactly what it is. How sure. would you describe uh, it? Uh, complete the quest. The poisonous library is a graphic novel game book. So you know, some people may be familiar with those game books, like the choose your own adventures, where you would read which path you go and you stick your fingers in and you hope you don't die. Hmm. But this is because it's a graphic novel. It lays it all out visually. So it's like, do you go on this path or that path? And you don't have that anxiety. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, this path, I can see where I'm going. And it's like a role-playing game. It invites you to tell your own story with it. Like, which way do you think would be better for your characters to go? Because you get to pick three of the six characters at the beginning. Mm. And which characters you pick will oh. lead you down certain paths and will be easier and better for you to do it. Because your oh. job is to save Queen Evergreen, who has been poisoned by a, uh, a book that arrived at her place. She's kind and clever and... Uh, considerate, but now she becomes xenophobic and hateful to the people in her queendom, uh, and this poison is taking over her, and she just puts herself into this, you know, torpor or, you know, a sleep state, and now somebody has to go get the ingredients to save her for the remedy, and th- you pick the three heroes to go do that, and uh, then you have to take care of the guy who sent the book, because it's part of, like, a bigger plot, mm. but it takes you across a lot of different fantasy landscapes, like, you know, there's a 
there's a dragon that is a dungeon, and there is a uh, a spheramid, which is like a pyramid, but it's always rolling through the desert. So the soul, because you know a pyramid, the soul is supposed to go up into heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, this one, like, it stops the soul from leaving because they're so evil, they shouldn't be going out. And pyramid, I love that. Yeah. I do too. So this, it's I've got the jokes in there, like you know, with the punny names, but you know, it's also hopefully engaging uh, fantasy locations for you to take your adventures through and. Um, it really does, you know, teach uh, you how to, or ask you to embrace the idea of coming up with your own path through. Mm. So there's a correct way in that you could say like, well, my dwarves wouldn't be able to bash this door down because it's too thick. So I'm going to have to use my lock pick to get through. But you can also just say, well, you know what? My character, I think, you know, is really good at talking their way through. So I think they're going to talk to the guards and get the key from the guards. It's not an option in the book, but it encourages you to look for those options. So it's like a really great way to introduce role-playing games to people who are not as familiar with it. Mm. And that's why the book is really, it's aimed at sort of that uh, middle grade audience, Mm. uh, sort of middle school kids as their first sort of foray into role-playing games. It sort of gives them the freedom to explore at the level they're at. It reminds me a lot of um, the Benser Redbox, where you could play through the booklet there um, as a choose-your-own-adventure. Like, go to section, blah, 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 you know, and that's how you created your characters and kind of made those decisions in a branching way. Uh, And it sounds like you took that and made it so much more visual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, like, one of the main inspirations for this was I got some of the hardcovers and uh, the, you know, Curse of Strahd and uh, Tomb of Annihilation. I was reading Mm. through them and like, you know what I would do in this situation? Because, like, I don't know if I'll get to play these. Hopefully I will. You know, we're going to pick one for our group and uh, our home game and play that. Uh, but what would I do? Because I'm not, uh, as the DM, I'm still really interested in the path these take. Yeah. And as a cartoonist, I thought, well, it has to be a visual path. And how does that change things? And, you know, there's no box text to read. You would just, you know, take the information in visually. But it is sort of inspired by the idea of, like, how could you do a... I know you don't use the word module anymore, a campaign mm-hmm. as a visual system, which I think, you know, it's it's literally a game changer, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, a, no, it changes it, how you interact with the, the source. Yeah, and there's so much more you can get across in, <clears throat> excuse me, in pictures, right, that you can't get necessarily even in box text, right? You can describe only so much in, in so many words before it starts to get monotonous, right? So if, if you have a library, like as you mentioned, you know, with all of these visual details and books on every shelf and little knickknacks and I think you can get so much more information across through a, a, a picture than you can um, in, in, in using text like that. Yeah, the picture's worth a thousand words. I know, right? I was, I was <laughs> debating about whether actually to say that adage yeah, or not. Dancing around that and yeah. I went for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's worth more than that. It's worth like 1,500 words in my opinion. Ooh. Gold pieces. Gold pieces, yeah, sorry. Dragons. Yes. (laughs) This is, it's just the coolest concept. And it seems like all, just from your history, like all roads have led to this this book coming out. Like there was no choice but for you to write this book. But I'm curious like how the idea did solidify itself in your head and if the execution of the, the actual creating of the book was easy was it hard was it surprising did what challenges were presented in it um i think 
it came fast and easy to do. And I just, you know, just rushed into it. And it was like, this is what I've been waiting for. And I just packed it full of stuff. But it was originally going to be closer to like 40 pages. And it's like, you know, I think 120, 130-ish in that range. Oh, okay. so it just tripled. Because <laughs> I was imagining almost like a picture book. Like a, oh, like a yeah. heavy, like a slightly thick picture book. Um, I'd read uh, a story called uh, The Super Happy Magic Forest by Maddie Long. And it is kind of like a picture book where picture books are really good for kids to trace their path. You know, they're very fin- finger hands on, right? And so they're seeing where the characters go. And some of the things are cross sections of, you know, a forest or a dungeon or whatever. And so I was thinking of it more like that. But when my editor, uh, like wanted to, you know, look at it. It was like, you know, I really like it, but can we make this even longer? Can we put more in? And at that point, I was like, yes, yes, of course. Let's see what can we do. And and that was the struggle is to figure it out. But it was like a fun struggle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized like there was one path that sort of took you through, but on, on each page, there were more than one way to go on the page because you could go up or you could go down, you could go right, you could go left, whatever it is. But... um I added a branching story. So you've got the option, do you want to go and look for these ingredients where they naturally would be found for the remedy? Or do you want to make your way to the more dangerous place uh, where there's a bazaar where you can get all of them at once? And so it adds that whole other chapter. So you can replay the book with different characters and go down a different route that runs almost parallel to it. And then there's like a third one that's like a speed run. (laughs) <laughs> like if if you manage to have the right character at the right time, you can skip over most of the adventure uh, and get right to it. But it also warns you, like if you're going to go this route, there are no hints. You've got to use your imagination because there always are. I try to put in the hints so it's like if you come to this door, you know only somebody as strong as a bear will be able to knock this down. So you know you need a strong character or the character that can change the druid who can change into animals. Mm. But when you get to this one, this secret bonus level. That one, there's it's just like, there's a monster. And it's like, you know, what are you going to do about this one? It breathes bees on you. How do you stop it? <laughs> Get some honey to uh, attract the bees. Exactly. There you go. I love it. Uh, that, uh, so uh, there's no, uh, there's there's choices that the, the reader will make while doing it, but there's no... Um, rolling or any type of randomized mechanic, is there? No, I mean, I grew up loving the fighting fantasy books. And those were, you know, for those who haven't experienced one, they were choose-your-own-adventures, but they had little battles in them as well. Mm-hmm. And I spent some time studying these books. So, like, the choose-your-own-adventure paths were like a tree where they branched out like this. And then they had a whole bunch of different endings. Whereas the fighting fantasy books where you branched out and you went exploring, and then you met back at the end, and they were like, did you find the needle in the haystack? And if you hadn't found, like, you know, the three gems or yeah. the whatever it was, you had to redo the whole book and try and figure it out, which is, you know, they're different. That, that feels bad after a while. Different, yeah. Uh, so I, I've made it so that either way you're going to find the needle in the haystack. It's just how you get there, which is more interesting to you. But um, I realized that when I started reading those, I liked doing the dice rolling. But after about four or five books, I was like, I win the fight. I'm just going to skip over it, you know, like... The fun part was using my imagination or reading the text and looking at the pictures. The dice rolling, I think, I mean, there is a something on the back that says, if you want to play this game a little bit differently, take two coins and flip them. Mm. And if you get two heads, you succeed really well. 
if you get heads and tails, you succeed. And if you get two tails, you actually fail. So come up with an interesting way, like maybe you do make it past, but somebody's now injured and, you know, uh, is slowing the party down or whatever it is. Like there's, there's that extra level of gameplay if you want it, uh, because, uh, Failing does make for interesting stories, but I found because it's an introduction almost to role playing that I wanted there to be a big safety net mm. of not having to being worried about will this thing kill you because of a bad die roll. I played um, the I played slash read the Lone Wolf books, which were very similar to the Finding Fantasy books. Yeah. Um, and even as a kid, I remember those those same moments where I'm like, you know, that my this character that of lone wolf that i've been going for all 12 books here is pretty overpowered like there's almost no way i can lose these these battles but he still did the randomized thing flubbed it a couple of times here and there but like i love that you focused on the imagination and the storytelling and the and the problem solving uh in these choices rather than as you're saying just you know the the role of a die because that's harder to do when you're playing by yourself it's it's not the important part when you're playing by yourself the drama of rolling in front of a group when you're playing D and D is is fun and exciting, and, and and you can build off of that. But even in your in we were talking about those flipping of coins, you're still building on the idea that failure can be a really strong storytelling option. So, kudos to you for for keeping that consistent. And a yeah. good lesson, good life lesson for for all people, for everybody, but especially for kids. But I, I feel like even D and D as it's progressed has become. Uh, more focused on the story and role playing and things like that than on the you know the early days where it was I move so many hexes forward and now it's like you know the die roll is like how does your charisma check pan out so it's like it's a, a check that facilitates the story mm-hmm. instead of necessarily uh, you know like with the fighting fantasy it was just like do you hit or miss and that is less dynamic when you don't have an opponent who you know is there playing that other role. Exactly. Yeah. Um, your your website, which we'll put the link in our show notes as well, but if you're dying to look at it right now while you're listening, it's brianmcl.com. Um, and you have, if when you look for a complete the quest, there, you have given pages as an example because I was having, as I was reading about it, like, I don't understand. So <laughs> thankfully, you I got to look at these illustrations. But it's like different quests throughout the book. That you, is that? There's, it's like one long quest. I mean, the quest at its essence is very simple. It's just Mm -hmm. retrieve these five objects and come back. But how you get them is the difficult thing. So like there's uh, one of the places is you have to go visit the cog goblins. So the cog goblins are these inventors that live underground and they build machines and stuff, but they need you to defeat the gorgon that lives down there that's turning everyone to stone. And if you do that, they'll give you the ingredient you need. And then once you finish that, that's like a chapter one. And then chapter okay. two, you get the next ingredient and chapter three. So it's like there are these built-in breaks. So if you want to do it as a, a bedtime story with your younger ones that aren't yeah. even reading by themselves yet, because mm. this is how I play tested it. My kids were very young when I started this. Okay. And, you know, having those breaks where you, you've written down what you've, you've accumulated, put it in as a bookmark, and then you can come back the next night and, and see where you are. But giving really parents cool. a break. I know. <laughs> or readers of well, any have, sort. Yeah, and have the kids participate in the stories. Way cool. So not necessarily multiple quests, but they're more like encounters. Yes. On your, okay. Lots of different encounters for each chapter. Okay. And so you choose three of the heroes, which I 
the heroes are amazing because you have created this very wonderfully diverse party, which I think is you know obviously important and great because kids everywhere are going to see themselves represented in these characters. Yeah. Um, but also, okay, so I choose my party of three, and then I go off on this quest, and then how are we, when we encounter, I'll just give an example. I have your website right here. If I want to go to the Rainbow Caves, mm-hmm. what am I, like, how does the party interact with the action that's happening there? Okay, um, you know what? I'm just going to pull one up as, pull that up as an Yay! example. So, <laughs> Uh, it, it says, uh, a gem-eating geode ogre blocks the way. He is super tough, but not unbeatable and scared of spiders. And he's going, om nom 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 nom, as he's yeah. eating all the gems in the rainbow cave. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm trying to make sure that the violence in this seems kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to be defeating a monster, you're feeding one, defeating one that goes, om nom nom nom, and it's, you know, it's a little bit silly. A- and one that's scared of spiders, which I also appreciate. Yes. <laughs> But if you follow the map back up and then you go across, you can see there are spiders. Okay. So your character can pick them up and then walk back. Oh but there's also a druid in the group that can shape change into any natural animal. So okay. if you had your druid with you, you don't need to go back and get the spider. You can just turn into a spider and that will go. scare them. But you could also say, I have, because uh, there are two barbarian brothers and you pick them, you got to pick both together. They're like in sync. They, they're the, they're uh, not like the, the, they have good facial another, hair too. Another like in sync reference. Justin Timberlake uh, is one of the dwarves, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, when you bring those characters with you, you're going to beat just about any monster in the book, but they're not good at the magic stuff. And you have to replace, you have to do two of them. So like, there's a trade-off there. But they could probably just beat this Geodoger up if you have them. So you could say to yourself, oh, well, I've got the Barbarian Brothers. They're just going to, you know, smash this rock guy and take his gems and take some gems extra for the road. It doesn't tell you you can pick up a gem, but there's no reason that, you know, if you're telling the story, you do that. But most people are probably going to go and say, oh, there's some spiders here. I'm going to go get spiders, then go back. I'm going to scare him, which will take me down to the old digger. Okay, what's that say? There's a pair of old smoky goggles on the ground that would fit on a small flower kin. And I should say flower kin are like the plant people. Uh, Something that sets this apart from some other fantasy worlds is that they're insect people and plant people is key characters. Cool. Um, Or would fit on a dwarf. The machine could tunnel right to the lair of the villain, but it would need a spark of electricity. Hint, e-electricity. Uh-huh. You could be an electric eel if you're the druid, mm. or you, they're the wizard character or sorcerer or whatever. Their their power is lightning. So unlike D and D, where they oh. have a whole bunch of spells, they start with like lightning, and as they go along, they can learn new spells. But oh, well, they can give it a jump start. So if you have that character with you, that's your solution. If you have the other character with you, that's a solution. If you don't have any of those characters, you've got to go back around and see what's the other way on the path and right. find other ways through. So that it's up to the so person cool. telling this story, like reading the story or, or, or to, to come up with those things? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm giving them suggestions. Like the e-electricity gives yeah. you the strong image in your head, like, oh, I can turn into an electric eel. I could do that. So there are hints but I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm not telling you the correct way. You get to decide uh, based on your own personality and which characters you brought with you and what you like. You know. And then once, Even you, once you're done with that, then you kind of turn the page to the next encounter? Yep. Interesting. And I love that. I know, right? It took me a minute to like grasp like how this works. 
So thank yeah, you. Yeah, it reminds me of like this. story dice or something like that, or something that has yeah. like this this uh, procedural element, even though it's not procedural. You guys, you have planned it out uh, very well here, but like it's it's basically you know here's the, the set of parameters, and then it's up to you to tell that story with these parameters. Yeah, I mean, you could look at it as a a, a well drawn flowchart. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the flowchart is not written in stone. It's written in, uh, you know, it, you get to add to the flowchart. So yes. fun. And it reminds me also of uh, the work of Jason Thompson. Yeah. Who's been doing stuff uh, in Dragon Plus. Um, basically oh, yeah, yeah. taking the, the, the adventures that you're talking about, Curse of Strahd and Tomb of Annihilation, and doing the flowchart of how to get through that entire, you know, 256-page adventure um, in very small type and a very yeah. uh, large image. Um, telling all those stories, basically the decisions that a party could make going through that adventure, and you, similar idea here, except you're, um, you know, creating this whole cloth and this with the parameters in mind. Yeah, and like uh, sectioned off and little in the page turns, yeah, so that you're not seeing it all at once. It's just like it, you get it as it comes. Yeah. I'm really glad we're talking this through because I, when you were first describing it and me looking at these pages, I assumed there was something missing. Like I assumed there was like a turn to page X kind yeah. of branching storyline here just because I'm so familiar with those that th- those types of, of, of choose your own adventure or pick your path stories. So I'm, I love that there is none of that and it is just what is the story that you tell as you're, as you're going through mm-hmm. these, these images. Yeah, if it does say go to this other path, it's like it really is a whole other branching thing because... One of the great things about Dungeons and Dragons or any role-playing game is the ability to say, like, you know, we're not going to do what the king asked. We're going to do what we want because this is how we're going to save the day. So you don't have to take the advisor's advice of where to find these things. You can go the other path and the other route. But it's like it's like a huge shift. It's not just one thing where you're always flipping back and forth. It's not like every decision you make, you have to second-guess yourself. Yeah, yeah, because... I like that too. Is like a, similar to a D and D game where you can make those decisions, but those decisions are pretty final, right? You're not going to go back to session one after session twenty five and be like, you know what? Um, let's not kill the king. You're like, well, that negates that you're retconning an entire <laughs> campaign of collective imaginations of all of these people. Um, speaking of which, I love when I play Dungeons and Dragons with a visual artist, mm-hmm. someone who can draw. I'm always impressed. They're usually just looking at their character sheet, noodling away. If they're far away from the t- from me at the table, I don't always know what they're working on. And then having them show their sketch or their drawing of some scene or or image that's happened in that game session, it always blows my mind, and it just gives me goosebumps uh, at how someone can do that. And 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 uh, you have a uh, piece of content that does exactly that, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I do a live stream game. It's called uh, Magical Marker. And me and a group of other RPG artists and cartoonists live draw what happens in the game. So as stuff is happening, we're drawing it. So like I say, you know, you walk into a room when there's a fountain and I'll draw the fountain and they start saying, okay, well, my character does this and I'm going to search over here. And they start drawing themselves doing it. And when they're not talking, they're still communicating because they're drawing what their character is doing. Like maybe their character, they draw them like putting their face into the water and drinking from it or something like that. (laughs) And uh, we all draw our own characters. So like you're, we're responsible for our own stuff. And uh, it's a really fun way to 
to, I don't know, it's a little bit different than some of the other games out there because of that. That's I, I didn't want to do just do a stream if we didn't have a reason to do it, but I feel like being adding the art element changes things up a bit. Yeah. I, I started doing it as a, at a Toronto Comic Arts Festival uh, live on big boards. We all had like these giant charts, uh, chart paper, and they were drawing in front of an audience full of, like, I thought there was going to be like four people turned up, but it was like 30 <laughs> people. And it was like the room only held 30 people. So it was like <laughs> packed. And uh, we were there for like three hours. And oh some God. people stayed for like, because we changed uh, cast every hour. And some people stayed for all three. And that's how they spent, you know, three hours at the com comic convention. And some people just did one section. And uh, I was like, this is so good. I want to do this again. Uh, it really changes the way we're playing the game and, and adds like a, a, a level of excitement to it. And uh, I looked around for uh, a play space to do it live. And then uh, COVID hit and we're just like, let's do it online, do it online. And yeah, we do it uh, in the digital space and we're able to bring in a couple of people from out of town. Uh, so now distance isn't an issue and we do a lot of fun. What the, medium the do you guys use? Is it only you know pen and paper or, or pencils or is it also digital? So it's... Uh, when we did it live, it was the, you know, right. marker and easel. But now we're doing it with uh, just online, a program called Aggie.io. Mm. And it, it just it lets you draw in a thing that's kind of like a low-fi Photoshop. Mm. And uh, we all share the canvas. And Oh, I was wondering how that worked because I was watching uh, one of your episodes and you can you're obviously like the focus on the art as it's happening that's it. but i was wondering like who was actually drawing but you're then, all drawing on that same canvas mm -hmm. oh wow oh that's so cool and we and each pick sort of a different color so that like you know the when you start seeing the blue lines coming in you're like oh that's going to be the ganasi ah. or the you know so everybody has their sort of color of i mean they can switch it up from session to session but you know uh sometimes we add color afterwards but yeah it's it is uh it's a fun way to collaborate together because you know you draw your character doing one thing and then the other person like draws their character reacting to it like you know giving you a side eye or yeah. you know hearts for eyes or whatever it is that you know it is very a very cool idea that that you know like even if if like for the rest of us that are not artists and just play D and D like the regular way with our voices, but <laughs> <laughs> like it's a it's it it got me really inspired thinking about like well what is my character doing while the rogue is you know picking a lock like I so it's it's a really it's just it got me thinking about like there's other things that are happening in the background but with your group you can actually see all of those things happening it was it's it was really cool. It also reminds me of the uh, concept art pushes that we sometimes do at Dungeons and Dragons, uh, uh, where there's a whole bunch of visual artists in a room drawing stuff, and uh, usually there's some direction like, okay, you're going to do you know this creature type, and you're going to do this creature type, but sometimes they just noodle around, making fun of each other, like putting each other in their their own drawings, and you know some of those are the funs that ends up being displayed around the office as nice little fun in jokes. And um, in some ways, you're doing that each week uh, by having these artists collaborate. And, and, and I love the idea, that example of you know, one character giving a side eye. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the essence of Dungeons & Dragons in visual form, I think, to me. 
I mean that, and that's a story like element yeah. there too. Like, why are you giving me side eye? Like, now I <laughs> now I'm thinking like, I thought you were my friend. You know, I thought you supported this, and like, here you are with your side eye, or even like the heart eyes. I had no idea. You know, this character felt that way. Oh. But yeah, like now now you've got like a, a new layer of your story there. Yeah, and and like the the book, it's a sort of a PG thirteen uh, level story, and. Uh, it's like about teens and tweens on their first big adventure on their own away from their mentors. Mm. And so we're get, tapping into that teen angst. Mm-hmm. And I built it, the world around the Dungeons and Dragons where I was like, you know, some people say if you're, you know, have a short rest, how do you get all your hit points back? Like that's, you know, some for some people, they have a hard time visualizing that. So I'm like, only certain people do. The gifted people do. And they get all these powers. And these are the ones who are born this way. And that's built into the lore of the story. And they're trying to figure out why am I gifted or where did this come from? And, you know, encountering other people and see how they use their gift and how they're asked to use their gift. And, you know, building around the mechanics in the game to try and uh, help with the lore. Magical Marker is such a great title for it, too. Yeah. It, just, it is... Uh, a great pun, which is always going to make me uh, happy, but it just it has a lot of layers to it. It also makes me think of um, Harold and the Magic Crayon uh, to yeah. a certain extent, oh, too. Oh, yeah. You know, creating the world with their pen. Yeah, I always thought of that term when people say black magic marker. I always hear the black magic part linked together. I don't <laughs> want the magic marker linked together, but I'm like, oh, that's evil. <laughs> black magic, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I'm just doing a poster for the bake sale. Uh, <laughs> six, six, six. Oh, well, I'm curious how um, your book, The Complete the Quest, has, because it came out in June. Was it June of this year? Okay. And like how it's been received with, you know, I imagine schools, librarians, teachers probably love it because it's creative, uh, imaginative, and kids, I'm sure, just clom onto it because you're combining things that, that they love at that age, graphic novels and game playing. But so, what has the feedback been? Have you heard from educators or, or kids that you know, like what, what are they saying about this? Uh, the stuff that I've heard back has been a lot of parents saying, you know, my kid got this book, and then they just were on this book for weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, I love they just that. got a lot of stuff out of it, and the kids who like it like it a lot, and the kids that are not so into it, it's not for them. That's fine. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, all the kids that are, and even the kids who aren't necessarily had ever done any sort of role-playing or fantasy stuff before, you know, if they'd been playing video games and, you know, they, they got into that as well. Uh, and I think it's, uh, the parents are the ones who are like, I'm not sure how this is going to work. I've never done this before, right? but I got the book for them anyways, from the library or from the bookstore and we brought it home and wow, I didn't. I didn't know what was going to happen, but it sparked something. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Storytellers, you're basically creating storytellers uh, with each uh, kid that's reading this. Yeah, and I love that it's there's so many options. Like it's the the readability of this just keeps going and going and going. Because like you said, you can create it, you can do the whole thing over again with three different heroes, or you know, mix up the party or take a different path. So, and I even encourage you, you know. not just to flip coins, but there's another way, like just make up your own character. See how it would go if you played, you know, Iron Man through this or, you know, a character you created whole cloth, like in Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, where you get to make up your your character. 
And oh, that's smart too, right? Yeah, you can. Here's here's just another thing. If you're if you don't have the wherewithal to run a full on D and D session, here I'll, we'll take your character that we spent all those you know hours cra- carefully crafting. Here we can just run through this in a night while we're we're getting ready for bed. Yeah, and you know, uh, or you know, if you're a, a DM, you can grab the spheromid and be like, oh, that's what I'm going to do tonight is how do you get inside a rolling pyramid? Like just having <laughs> that constant like rolling uh, thing that you have to deal with as you're like, you know, doing skill checks to stay balanced while you're making your way through deadly pit traps and stuff. I challenge everyone to use a, a spheromid in their next game. <laughs> yes, I want to hear how that it works. So you mentioned uh, you know DMing, DMing a couple times. Uh, are you are you the perennial DM? Are you the person who's always running the uh, the show? Usually, these days I am for sure. When I was in high school, it was a rotating thing. There was like mm. three or four of us that would each have our turn at the helm. Just like why, that's one of the reasons I really like watching Rivals of Waterdeep is they do that where each season they switch from person to person. You need really get a different flavor and feel for it and. Because that's what I was used to as a kid was like, you know, one got, one DM was really not good with the descriptions of the rooms, but the encounters were really well planned out, like strategically, like they're always a challenge, but they'd be like, you walk in a room, there's some monsters, they attack, you know, like the descriptions are out there, but I loved fighting in his adventures. And then they get to mine and maybe my adventures weren't as like, I didn't have that strategy to it, but they're like, well, I can picture this in my head because, you know, you've described it well as an artist or you've got done a drawing to accompany it i can understand what's going on. so we all had our strengths and weaknesses and uh that's one of the fun things but yeah i think i'm i've become the perennial dm do you like that role or is it just because it's hard to recruit other folks because as you're saying about the rolling the rotating dms I, I just recently i was like hey guys i don't I, i'm getting a little burned out playing you know as as the dm all the time does anybody else want to take on the mantle and it was like and? crickets crickets oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is it, is it because of that? Is it like, you know, not always having that uh, uh, drive from others to to want to tell the stories? Um, it's partly that. I mean, within Magical Marker, we had a, a point where one of the players was going to be away for a month uh, because they had a big deadline. And one of the other players took over as DM for four sessions. But normally he doesn't feel like he can contribute that much time, but he could totally do a, a fill-in spot. And we hope that uh, Priscilla, one of our other players, is going to get into the GM chair at some point as well nice. uh, and introduce us to like maybe a game we haven't played yet. Um, but uh, yeah, I got the itch a while ago to do some more playing, so I joined Adventurers League and started going to some Adventurers League games. Oh, sweet. And, oh, good. Uh, what it was like a my... really different experience. Um, I enjoyed the people that I met there. I had fun playing, but it also felt like Unlike some of the other stories where I'm used to like that long home game, this was more like a, a, a pulp story like Conan the Barbarian where, you know, he shows up at the temple of the elephant god and he meets up with somebody on the way and they're like, yeah, we're going to go raid this thing. All right, let's do it. And then at the end, they go their separate ways yeah. because, you know, it was like a drop in thing where some people would be there one week and then they wouldn't be there the next week. And the adventure that you sat in on might be like, you know, in Chult one week and then be in Neverwinter the next week and it had a real episodic feel to it, which was uh, an interesting thing to to participate in. Yeah, I think I feel I always equated to like like you're saying, like a, a Star Trek or a, uh, a a periodical fantasy story, um, where yeah, you just get oh, this is the flavor of this week's adventure. 
how are we going to deal with these problems uh, and yep, move on to the next one. Uh, but it's a great way to test those, those skills and, and hone like, oh, trying out different characters or trying out different as a DM, different techniques that you can do to engage with people who are not your best friends, right? And that's the other fun thing about it, right, is, is, is being able to meet new people and, and experience their perspectives on how to play the game. Yeah, we had a, a DM uh, who uh, was role-playing an Illithid, and she stood up and started walking around the table. Oh, my gosh. And standing behind us oh. and, you know, doing this with her fingers. And I was like, this is the type of thing I've never had a DM do to me because we're sitting <laughs> in a basement around a table and nobody yeah. thought to do that. And then when I watched the live streams of, you know, Critical Role, High Rollers, Rivals of Waterdeep, they're not... They're like, the camera says, stay there. Right. Like, it's hard for them to get up and do that physical acting bit. Um, and so have it, like, going to Adventures League, that's where, you know, you're picking up some room tips, you know, how to how to hmm. take up the space or use the space to your advantage. I love that theatricality, right? Like, there's something just so unnerving about having someone standing behind you. Uh, yeah, a subtle... A subtle action, but it's like I, you saw me like shudder when you said that. Like, oh, oh. Especially imagining the yeah, tentacles like of the, the mind tentacles. flare eating my brain. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one of the whiz kids makes those big like foam, whatever they're made out of. You oh, Greg's got one in the background of his. He's the big like mind flare that mounts onto the wall. We have one in the office, and one day I wasn't paying attention, and I just walked right into it, and it, like. <laughs> One of its tentacles like hit me in the eye, and I dropped whatever I was carrying. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so embarrassing!" Like I literally just walked into a mind flare and got hurt. The <laughs> so one on the perception check. No, I, I think I was even with like someone. They were like, "Oh my god!" Like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Oh, it happens all the time." Like trying to play it off. Like, don't don't worry about me. I'm fine. It didn't hit yeah. my armor class. I'm fine. <laughs> on the inside, it, I was hurting. Was hurt. You were pretty embarrassed. By... <laughs> yes. It did psychic damage to you. Yes. Physical <laughs> physical damage and psychic damage. Yeah. I Damn love my that. Flares, so. I know. I also just love because it is, it can very much fit having a person's head underneath those tentacles. Uh, yeah. And so uh, when people would come out of meetings or something like that, I like just being there, being like, oh, <laughs> like I'm being, my mind is being eaten as they turn the corner. <laughs> It's a risk. It's a risk of, of being at Wizards. You, you don't know. You don't know. Um, so I'm, as a dungeon master, when you are running a game as, you know, just running a game as opposed to running a game with the artists, and I'm, I'm wondering if there's like a difference in your storytelling when it's just straight up using your voice as opposed to like having visuals accompany it. Do you rely um, more on the visuals to tell the story? I definitely do rely on the visuals more in that, like, even though we're live drawing, as a dungeon master, I have the opportunity to pre-draw something. So if I'm, like, you know, 90% mm. sure they're going to encounter this thing next week, this NPC or this location, I'll draw it. Uh, and so that we'll, we'll have, like, that cool, like, ooh, wow, that's, you know a nicely rendered piece because the other pieces are loose and they're more like the New Yorker cartoon where they're like quickly done and, and funny and fun. Uh, but you know, these more rendered pieces are fun to do too, to give them like, we're talking about the the box text where I don't have to tell them exactly what the fountain looks like. They can just look at it and go, Hmm, in the corner. Is that a, is that an urn? Yeah. Well, what, 
can I, can I see what's in the urn? And they, sometimes it's stuff I put there on purpose. And sometimes it's like happy accidents where I'm like, yeah, let's go with that. Let's follow whatever you're interested in, in this scene. Um, take that. But yeah. That reminds also, me a little bit of the difference between someone who uh, sketches out the battle grid on a, on a, uh, you know, with just dry erase markers just to be like, okay, walls are here versus the type of player who, you know, sets up a drove and forge scenes for each individual uh, encounter that they go for and has that nice reveal of like, ooh, ah, what is all this? And, and all that. Both of them are, are valid, but you, you certainly can get more power if you have that reveal of something that feels uh, finished and crafted. I, uh, I don't have Dwarven Forge, but I have Lego. And so in my home game, ah, nice. when I didn't have that, we were, I was totally building stuff and my kids would join in. We like, I had like an Orcus that was like this big Ooh, that we cool. built for, uh, we needed out of the abyss. And, uh, oh, that's so cool. You know, uh, there is a, uh, spoiler alert, a, uh, a grove of mushrooms that have like half, you know, uh, decomposed bodies in it. And so like taking the Lego legs off and putting the, body down and then build <laughs> mushrooms around them and putting skulls on their heads and stuff like we had a lot of fun uh building sets for it that way but uh like we were saying uh visually i also when i'm doing magical marker i've been trying to have art as a recurring theme in the story like what is oh, it cool. like there are musicians and there is a character who's a bardist that they meet who like uses their wand and paints something and then it appears like, you know, like that's how they're conjuring things into being. That's cool. And it's a question of like, you know, what is art good for? How can it be used for good or for bad? And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to incorporate it as a theme, which makes it different than, you know, like I've been running, um, candle keep mysteries recently and, you know, that I'm just using whatever themes are in the book and then whatever the players bring out. But I'm, with because I'm making the, I guess the main difference is that I'm shaping the one that I'm drawing whole cloth, whereas when I've got the the hardcover, I'm sort of relying on uh, it already to be done for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I uh, uh, I that reminds me of a character I made for um, my uh, Wild Beyond the Wishlight campaign with my daughter. It's an artificer who. Only, only paints the things that they're creating, right? So the spells and the things that they're making are all going to be from a magical paintbrush, uh, similar to like you know, uh, painting it brings it to life. So you know, the, when he was waiting in line for something at the at the carnival, he just painted a chair uh, behind him so he could sit down and 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 be relaxed while it was happening. Uh, and That's it's nice. Like, I like it. I love taking those kind of you know classes or things and abilities and just completely remapping them to uh, what is uh, something really. Uh, hopefully engaging uh, and doesn't feel like out of the box. Yeah. And painting. That's the, giving your, your own flavor for, that matches your character. Um, been, and so, yeah, you mentioned your kids and, and, and playing with them. How, how do you approach uh, Dungeons & Dragons differently uh, engaging with, with, with children? Maybe, maybe not your own because they might be too young at this point, but, uh, you know, you, you seem to have a, long, a strong um, connection to that, you know, youthfulness around uh imagination and storytelling um i the the older one tried it a little bit and was not into it and the younger one loved it so much that they sort of took over as dm oh i love when that happens how old wait how old are your kids uh currently 10 and 8 okay so uh, the the eight-year-old when they were like six was because they had seen me with the home games building the lego stuff so they were like 
I'm going to play D&D with you. I'm going to, and their idea was, I'm going to make some Lego monsters and then you will deal with the Lego monsters. I love it. And it's a great uh, idea. So that was how they built their plot is just like you encounter, this is, uh, they had some sort of like music elemental or something that they had made, something really strange. Uh, and I was just like, I don't know what that Lego creature is, but you telling me that it is like, you know, oh, it was a speed elemental. Mm because they're really into Sonic the Hedgehog. So it's like, this ah, is yes. the embodiment of speed. Um, and I'm like, okay. Well, not, gonna... not methamphetamines. Okay, good. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, the 10-year-old is old enough for that, but the 8-year-old... <laughs> Come on, Greg. Boundaries. Comedy jokes. <laughs> uh, I dig that, right? And that is, uh, similarly, my, my younger daughter was uh, the same, where, where I tried to... I'd be like, hey, I'm the dungeon master because she kept throwing out ideas of like, okay, no, this happens, now this happens when she was a player. And I'm like, okay, well, you can choose what, what your thing does. I'm like, I think she's just a born dungeon master and wants to create things. And she's been inspired by artifacts or things that she's found and, and is telling stories about those that we are hopefully going to uh, spin into an actual uh, campaign setting. But yeah, they, 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 different kids latch on to different parts mm-hmm. of, of this game. Yeah. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of different ways to approach the game too that are being, you know, like the one of the reasons I did the the complete the quest is because like that's kind of where that age group are at. Like I'm meeting them where they're at because they read graphic novels voraciously. Like if you look at the kids' top charts, you're gonna see like, you know, Dogman. Uh, Dog Dogman. Man. You're gonna see Raina Telgemeier and mm-hmm. uh, Amulet by Kazu. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna find a lot of you know, graphic novels on those lists. So I'm like, this is how to reach that age range too, is with these, you know, friendly cartoony drawings um, so that the monsters aren't too scary and the, you know, it's colorful and fun. Yeah, that's true. Um, I I have an eight-year-old and he's, he's really, you can, the interest in graphic novels is peaking. Whenever he Mm. comes home with library books, they're always, there's at least like two graphic novels. In that pile. And that's to him, it's just a book. Like, he's not like, oh, I'm Miss Benini. I'm interested in graphic novels. Like, he's just like, this is a book, and this book appeals to my aesthetics. And I, and he loves to just like flip the pages. And to him, it's a, a big confidence boost because he can read a lot of pages in a short period mm. of time and feel like he's accomplished a lot of reading. Um, actual D&D. I'm realizing it might not be his thing and it hurts my heart a little, <laughs> but so which is why I'm very interested in complete the quest. Cause I feel like this could be a good common ground for us. It's a book, yeah. but yet it plays like an RPG. Yeah. I, I got into D and D in middle school and I found like when I first got that red box, I was daunted by it. I didn't understand what to do. Yeah. I, it was overwhelmed by the text. And having like a graphic novel approach really, you know, takes what's, you know, more of a textbook and makes it more approachable. Because at some point that, you know, you want like that textbook full of rules and locations and all of that stuff, just give it all that lore to me. But sometimes you need less of that and more of the, you know, read at your own speed if you're, you know, when you're trying to reach an eight-year-old. Yeah, definitely. And you know what I really also appreciate, and you had touched on this is with the heroes and complete the quest. Like you've really like just scaled down what 
what they can do, like power-wise. They're they're still very unique, but like here's your one thing that you can you can do. So they're not just like overwhelmed by, well, I don't know if I want to use a weapon or cast a spell, and then if I want to do that, how do I do it? Um, but do you did you take that approach or do you take that approach when you're playing with younger kids? Do you tend to limit what would be on a character sheet or just the the actions available to them? Yeah, absolutely. I would say to them, you know, pick three things that you want to be able to do with your character. Like, you know, they'll say, okay, I'm going to fly, I'm fast, and I shoot laser beams at my eyes. And I'm like, great. Okay. That's that's who you are. That's uh, great. But, you know, halfway through the game, don't tell me that, you know, I can also breathe fire because... You said laser beams at your eyes, not fire at your mouth. Like, you know, just pick your powers. Because everybody at the table, you know, gets their own set of three powers. And, you know, it's not fair if you get 12. Right. You don't want to have them all. Leave that for the people who are min-maxers and want to be a fighter mage thief or whatever. And they can do it all. (laughs) Uh, But I like that too. And it reminds me, I've I've been uh, talking to someone in my... um, you know, adult friend group, you know, people who, uh, kids go to the same school, right? And he randomly texted me out of the blue, being like, hey, I've been playing this game with my kids. We basically just call it the adventure game. Uh, And when they're going on long trips or something like that, where he's the DM and the storyteller, and he just asks them questions. And, uh, you know, what do they do? What, you know, gives them one or two powers, just like you're you're describing here. And then they can do it on, on, you know, in any situation. You don't need pen, paper, or, or any... Uh, even any um, resolution mechanics with the dice because, you know, he can just uh, uh, narrate what happens to them. And I feel like you can consume, complete the quest that way as well, right? Where you're, you're, you're traveling or you're, you're in, in, you know, it can it pass the time very well in an enclosed space. Yeah. And uh, to go to what uh, Shelley was saying about the, the powers, mm. about uh, stripping them down, is one of the things I try to do is they do have more things that they can do but you don't know about them right away. Like later on, it would be like, oh, well, if you're a dwarf, you could do this. And it's like, oh, you know, I was thinking about the fact that they're a fighter, but I didn't really realize that being a dwarf would mean something. Or, you know, like, so there's that extra layer that as you've been playing and are comfortable with the rules, I'm going to introduce something that you maybe hadn't thought of. Right, and that's a nice way to, to do it slowly, right? It's like almost like the, um, the way video game tutorials work uh, or, or progress, right? Where you're like... We don't want to throw everything at you right away. Slowly over time, as you get more invested in the story, then we'll throw more mechanics at you, which is sounds yeah. like you're doing naturally here. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about another book that you have. I thought it sounded really interesting. Uh, definitely our audience would find it interesting. Mastering Riddles, Puzzles, and More. Ooh. Oh, Tell it's us a, yeah, that's more. A, it's a PDF that I... It's on uh, RPG drive through and itch. .io if, uh, if they want to check it out. But it is basically, I did, in, in trying to learn to make uh, funny cartoons better, I did a deep dive into comedy and the psychology of what goes on in your mind and how it works. And one of the things I discovered was that a joke, you know, the word funny, it can mean haha funny, but it can also mean strange funny. And the thing is, uh, a riddle is a joke that lands on the aha side instead right. of the ha-ha side. And basically, I had never read anything in any of the RPG books on how to actually construct your own riddles. But basically, it's all the same rules that you're going to use to create a joke. It's just that, you know, you're not trying to make it... I mean, if it's funny, then that's great. Maybe that's what you want to do for your campaign. But tone-wise, you can make it something that isn't necessarily funny. 
Um, I love but, that because when, you, when I was a comedy writer for a while and some things that I would say or come up in my brain, I'm like, I don't think this is funny right now, but if I tell them in this specific way, it will get a response uh, from an audience, right? Like on paper, you read that, that's not funny, but if you, if you let the people see it uh, slowly enough, then it, that's what elicits the laughter response is that it's everybody collectively getting it or, or in, in with the way you're describing it is like solving the puzzle at the same moment or different parts of the same moment. And so you have ones that are slow, slow burns. I right? hear comedians say that sometimes being like, ah, you got to think about that one for a second. And then the laughter comes and uh, you're, you're illustrating that perfectly here and that like there's different ways to do that throughout all different ways of, of playing this game. Yeah. And also trying to get into like, if you have a group that, you know, some people don't love puzzles, how to deal with them when there are puzzles happening. Right. Uh, you know, like have like the door with the, you know, six riddles that you've got to figure out. But then there's also a horde of zombies coming down this one hallway. So there's enough for one character or two characters, depending on how many don't want to do the riddle. And you're engaging them with a battle while the other people are, you know, you know, sitting around with the different puzzle pieces trying to figure out how to open the door. And, you know, like little tips like that to try and help, uh, how to incorporate riddles to make everybody happy. There's lots of sample riddles and sample adventures in there as well. But uh, yeah, and and mazes, how to make mazes fun. How? Like that's a, a tricky thing. How? Well, get the book. That's um, how. The yeah. PDF. Get the PDF. <laughs> I may have to. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. Is there any tips you can give us? Sure, I'll give you one about how to make mazes okay. more fun. One one of the things uh, I've done is uh, you print out uh, two mazes, uh, like copy of the same okay. maze. You know, you can get them out of any, doesn't matter how difficult it is, you know, out of a children's menu for all you can, right. right? And then you give them to two people at the table and they say, uh, or before you hand them out, you say, one of you is going to represent the person you're chasing and one of them is going to represent you. And then we're going to time you. Oh. Go. And then you both do it as fast as possible. Then you flip over the answer, say like, you know, okay, Shelly was the group and Greg was the uh, NPC. And whoever finishes the maze first is actually the one who got through the maze. So that's... Oh, that's super that's, cool. And so like you can say like, okay, you're too slow. So you catch up to them in the maze and now we're going to deal with a maze encounter. And like why that would be the right way to use the maze as opposed to one where you're rolling a dice to randomly determine what things happen. Like there some places, some will be more useful than the other. Like that one works when it's a chase, but it doesn't work if it's a, you know, can I find the needle in the haystack? Yeah, yeah. And knowing when to use those. So it's cool that yeah, um, this feels like a elaboration of that section in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything uh, that has a lot of uh, puzzles and how to, yep. how to play them. You know, you're just giving yeah. more examples and, and I like including mazes in this too. Yep. And I assume this is your artwork that's also in the in this PDF. Yep. Yeah, fully illustrated. Very cool. And, you know, some of the, a lot of the, like it has puzzles in there that are visual puzzles that are like cut these out and, you know, print these out and cut them and use them at the, your table. Oh, cool. Uh, but it also says, like, this is just because I can make you print these. There's no reason you can't do this for whatever you like. Like, if you are a collector of, you know, uh, you know, little animal figurines because you've got a kid, you know, use the little animal figurines as the puzzle instead of a drawing of the animal figurine. Like, you know, having that <laughs> physical object can really help bring that, you know, puzzle to life. 
this is not a pipe. <laughs> uh, we get in all the meta things about like what is real in, in yeah. this is it in the real in the game or is it real in the real life so much fun stuff I feel inspired uh, about all of these uh, things uh, as we mentioned I think Shelly and I both can say that we're not very visual artists no. and so being no. able to use some of the, the things you're talking about here um, to augment our skills is, is wonderful and hopefully you know people who are listening uh, would want to pick up uh, some of these things, including complete the quest or mastering riddles, or even just watching Magical Marker, and hopefully, you know, get some inspiration for for their own game. For sure, um, Brian. How can people find out more about what you're doing and and all these fun projects? Um, you can go to my website, brianmcl.com, because I don't want to make people have to spell McLaughlin. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> many only ways. one. Uh, but then on Twitter, I'm going to make you spell it. It's M C L A C H L A N Brian B R I A N. Uh, and that's usually where I'm doing my social media. Um, I'm not a big Instagrammer, even though I am there. Sweet. Well, good stuff. Hopefully uh, people can pick up, uh, complete the quest, and uh, run it for their kids uh, over the holiday break. I think that'd be a really fun thing to do. I think I will be. Uh, mm-hmm. One other really cool thing on your website is those images of your your early work, I guess, when you were <laughs> a child. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, so I made cute. my first Choose Your Own Adventure book when I was in middle or elementary school. I think it was like grade four or five. Wow. So, it's yeah, really I've been good. planning this uh, in some way or other for See? decades. It's finally come to fruition, and um, hopefully, there'll be more quests for us to complete. Yes, hopefully. If, uh, if you buy a copy for you and for the kid that you're trying to get into it, your nephew, your niece, your. Uh, whoever, uh, hopefully we will have a, a second quest. All right. <laughs> that is our quest. We don't that want is just everybody. one sale. We want two sales out of <laughs> each one of you. <laughs> it's the holidays. Come if you on. have more kids, they each need a copy. And right. What I'm saying. It's the time. You don't for want them to fight over it, right? Like you're tending your eight year old to be like, no, that's mine. Um, that is why I only had one child. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So great, Brian. Uh, I love it. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon and uh, you know, hope, pick your brain for more visual storytelling ideas because I, I feel like it's, mine is full right now. Yep. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Anytime. Yay. Thank you. Super inspired by everything Brian was just talking about. It is a way to get into the visual aspect of Dungeons and Dragons that I just really enjoy. And man, I wish I had that talent. Don't you? Yes. 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 But we don't have to. Uh, We can now just pick up these books and check them out. I know. Very, very cool. Um, What a cool concept. And I... I understand it now. I know, right? We did have to kind of talk it through uh, and get it. So hopefully everybody who's listening can figure out how to use this book to its best advantages, even just as a jumping off point for starting a uh, a more, you know, middle grade, you know, featured um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Definitely. Yeah. And as I said in the intro, great companion to the Young Adventurer's Guides that uh, Jim Zub and Stacey King uh, have been putting together because uh, there you can get all the lore and, and, and what's happening and then here's how you can apply it to a storytelling uh, with the way that uh, Brian's Complete the Quest The Poisonous Library does. Very cool. Sweet. Well, that's our episode. You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. 
on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. What about you? I'm at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow everything about Dungeons and Dragons at DungeonsandDragons.com. Download Dragon Plus to your phone with some great interviews and previews of upcoming content. And sign up for our newsletter. Lots of great stuff coming to you, delivered fresh to your inbox every once in a while. And uh, <laughs> I was going to say a period of time there, but I'm like, I'm not sure there is a specific no. period of time. When, when there's hot news. It's when there's hot, fresh news serving up to you. Also, uh, you should check out everything that's going on with D&D on our Discord channel and sign up for Virtual Play Weekends every month. Uh, this month in December is especially cool because it's when they will be starting the Strixhaven uh, campaign. Uh, so if you want to try out what's in that book, A Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, that's out on December 7th. You can sign up for Virtual Play Weekends and play through the first part of the adventure uh, that whole weekend. And then the subsequent months, we'll be going through all of those for Adventurers League content during those Virtual Play Weekends. You can play in any way that you want, theater of the mind, using Zoom, using uh, any uh, technology that you want, including Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds. And it's a great way to meet new people, as Brian mentioned in the interview, uh, and uh, get into the swing of playing D&D on a regular basis with some of our published content. And a great way to connect with you know, friends and family that um, you know people might be winding down and having a little bit of extra time. So jump yeah. into a virtual play weekend and just like, make that your, your gift to each other. My gift to you, Shelly, is that you shall have to Dungeon Master for a virtual play weekend now. No. <laughs> Baby steps. Are there any kids? I can only Dungeon Master for kids. Kids that don't know anything about D&D. I, I know, right? Nothing is worse than being called out by a kid. <laughs> like, Especially when um, they're right. Actually, this level four spell is not a, a dexterity save. It's a constitution save. Things don't work like that in my world. <laughs> that's right. You can be, that's the thing. You can say as a dungeon master, you can oh, do whatever you want. Yeah, that Speaking may be which, true, like in the book, little boy. <laughs> Not now. Speaking of which, our friend Drunky Two Shoes is busy fighting in a basement underneath uh, the Waterdeep uh, city uh, grocery called the Garrulous Grocer. The, the guards were just called, and I think you failed a persuasion check to try to let them know that everything's okay down there. And they're like, we're coming down. I and so, think so you start to hear heavy boots coming down the ladder uh, as you are still fighting two doppelgangers in front of you. Samson has taken some hits, and your brother, Daryl Tushus, has uh, been pretty good at attacking from the shadows. But what are you going to do now, Shelley? Can I tell if these are doppelgangers coming down the stairs? You can't see them. Oh. Quite yet. Okay. And these doppelgangers are still alive? The two that one are in front of like you. One of them was like sizzling. Yeah. Is it yeah, my turn? One of, the, one of them is dead, um, and the other two uh, are still engaged. Uh, so one of them has got some damage on it. All right. Well, I've used all of my first level spell slots in this, so I'm just going to go throw some acid on them. <laughs> and I go, you keep your mouth shut or you get the acid. <laughs> and then I... Just throw the acid at him anyway. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So you roll me a intimidation check as you as you do that, in addition to me rolling a save. Eleven. Uh eleven total? Yes. Okay. Uh so you're you say that and uh one of both of them are just like they look at each other and they go, duck. 
and they both duck uh, below your acid splash, which what? then... Ooh, I'm going to roll for that. Uh, which uh, a few droplets spray on to Daryl. And he's like, ow, Daryl! Ow, my fur! I just got this permed. <laughs> now that now my fur is gonna be all relaxed. No, no, this is the curl enhancing acid, Daryl. <laughs> You're fine. It's very he, conditioning. He yells at you like only a cat can. Are you saying I miss them with my acid splash? Yes. For reals. Yes. Hmm. All right, we'll pick up what they do next time for the adventures of Tokyo Tushi. Dun, dun, dun.